Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. This is the Graybar Sports Open Line. Goes Smith swings and he hits a drive. He hits a slammer. On America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Back at it here on a Tuesday night. So we're going to be doing something new every Tuesday around this time. You hear him during our uh, KMOX newscast. He's one of the newest members of the team here at KMOX. He is Sean Malone. Well, in addition to the work he does um, in our newsroom, he also longtime sports broadcaster and does a lot when it comes to fantasy football. He is the co-host of the Fly Fantasy Football podcast. He also writes for uh, Fantrax. That's F-A-N-T-R-A-X. And uh, what we're going to do on Tuesdays for uh, hopefully you'll get this, uh, get something out of this, especially if you play fantasy football, uh, we are going to uh, go through some of the notable players to possibly pick up based off what happened over the course of the weekend in football and also maybe some players that if you have them on your roster, it's probably time to go ahead and move on. He might be saying that about some of the guys that I have on my fantasy team as there's been some uh, certain disappointment so far on uh, on my team. So, uh, And we may get to a point where maybe we'll even uh, allow you to uh, tweet in some questions and things like that for him uh, as we uh, continue on with this uh, every week. So this is going to be a new uh, Tuesday staple. And uh, with that, we're very happy to uh, welcome Sean Malone on to the program. You follow him on Twitter at smalone27. Sean, great to be able to do this. Great to have you uh, joining us here on Sports Open Line. Good. Good to be on this side of the line on uh, KMOX, moving over from news to the sports side of things a little bit. It works. We're glad to uh, certainly uh, have you here. You've got a deep background when it does come to sports. What we're going to do each week is uh, we're going to kind of look back at the weekend that was. Sometimes there's injuries that uh, create situations where maybe some people should be looking at some players that are going to have uh, bigger roles. Uh, sometimes you just look at what happened in games and say, okay, this guy deserves to be picked up. So uh, we'll name a few guys each week that maybe a uh, fantasy football uh, owner should be taking a look at so let's get right to it based off what's gone on over the last few days who should the owners be looking at to see if they're available in their league yeah, you mentioned injuries and there's going to be a lot of teams in need of finding replacements for players that were injured justin jefferson likely headed to the ir with a hamstring injury uh, a shane is likely headed to the ir mm-hmm. as well the stellar rookie running back for the miami dolphins um and i'll start with a replacement that could kind of fill the shoes of a shane pretty quickly and was widely considered the guy in Miami heading into the season before he himself got hurt. And it's Jeff Wilson Jr. Uh, There's some thought that he might return this week. 
Uh, and if he does with that Miami Dolphins offense, he can just slide right into the role that he had last year, splitting with Raheem Mostert in the backfield. And that's kind of the role A-Shane has taken of late. And with the way the Miami offense is clicking, it feels like anybody, you could stick you and I out there and we could probably go off for 100 yards and a touchdown in that offense. Probably be the two slowest people on the field, linemen included, with the speed that they've got. But that that offense is firing on all cylinders. It's one of those, any piece of it you can get in fantasy football, you want to be able to have a piece of. Uh, Jeff Wilson Jr., especially for you A-Shane owners out there that lose him, could be a great addition because then you've got that stopgap player until he comes back off of that knee injury. So that, I, I love doing that, picking up the backup guys. Uh, another one, for example, a wide receiver that I think could be interesting is Josh Downs from the Indianapolis Colts. He's hasn't really cracked, uh, I guess, the top echelon of Colts receivers, if you will. Michael Pittman, Alec Pierce are still the top two guys in snap counts, getting about 90% or more of the snaps in each game. He's been sitting at about 70% so far. But Downs has been low-key solid throughout the course of the season. And prior to last week, week five, his best game of the season came back in week three when Gardner Minshew was the quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, Minshew's going to be the quarterback again for the Colts for the foreseeable future. Um, as Anthony Richardson is going to be recovering off of uh, a shoulder injury that he suffered. So this is an opportunity to see if maybe he can kind of regain that magic that he had with Minshew a couple of weeks ago. And if you lost Justin Jefferson, you're going to be searching for options on your waiver wire to try to replace what was probably the number one overall pick in your fantasy football draft. If you've got one of these wide receivers for teams that are having quarterback issues where a number of quarterbacks uh, may not play this weekend, like I'm a Pittman owner, and Pittman had a horrible game this past weekend, mm -hmm. and now I don't know what it's going to look like with him moving forward. You, you basically have to downgrade guys like Pittman now, and you know where a Pittman is usually a surefire wide receiver too. Now you kind of got to start thinking, okay, do I have a guy that maybe was my next best wide receiver? Maybe he's got a friendlier matchup quarterback plays a little more consistent that's someone i would look at uh, an angle i would look at it from of you know you like i said you downgrade them a little bit it's not the surefire set and forget wide receiver two on your team anymore now you got to factor in okay it's gardner Minshew who's acting as the quarterback uh I, I, i'm not sure off the top of my head who the indianapolis colts are set to play this week but you got to factor that in now as well i i don't think you're necessarily abandoning a Michael Pittman, if you will, but you certainly have to be wary of what the matchup is week in and week out because it's going to be a while before Anthony Richardson uh, is available to play again for the Indianapolis Colts. And for Richardson owners, a huge red flag for me, he's left three out of four games that he started this season with an injury. He has finished one out of the four games in his career. Gardner Minshew's had to essentially act as a closer for him because of injury. So if you're an Anthony Richardson owner, I feel like you're not just looking for a short-term replacement for him. You're looking for potentially a long-term replacement for him on the season. Last thing for you, we're five weeks in. Are there any players out there that were for sure starters when the season got started and they the production has just been low enough now that it's finally time to maybe pull the cord and 
put them on the bench or maybe even release them? I'll give you one that I'm okay with releasing and one who's kind of on the hot seat, who's on that cusp. I'll do the on the cusp first. Ramondre Stevenson from yeah, the I New England him. Patriots. Oh my gosh. It's just, it's been so shocking. Yeah. No explosive plays out of him has been the biggest weakness he's had so far this season. He doesn't have a single run greater than 15 yards on the year. When he does get the rock, it's a few yards here and there, and that's about it. The Patriots offense altogether just has not looked good. Um, uh, No idea if Bailey Zappi is going to be taking over this week or if they're going to go back to Mac Jones, but it has been rough in New England offensively. Ramondre Stevenson hasn't been playing great either. I'm not ready to cut him yet, but it's one of those I'm close. I'm certainly not ready to start him and it might take a couple, two or three good games before I feel comfortable starting him again. A player who is having a similar experience, but I feel like even worse, and there is a better option within his team, I think, in his position, is Najee Harris. Najee Harris is... Uh, you, you've been having a rough first five weeks, haven't you? <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I've won two in a row, but I started okay. 0-3, yeah. So Najee Harris, I've, I, I started getting weary about him late in training camp. When for a running back as young as he is, 25 years old, third year in the league, and uh, the the head coach, Mike Tomlin, came out and said they have to, you know, kind of throttle back his touches during camp. This isn't a, a Zeke Elliott that's on the back end of his career, a uh, Kareem Hunt, if you will. You know, Christian McCaffrey, like him, who's coming off a number of injuries that you feel like you want to be cautious with. This is a young running back who was a first round pick still in his rookie contract. And you're worried about the workload that he has in training camp. That was a huge red flag for me at that point. I really, unless it just fell to later, way later rounds, I was going to just take Najee Harris off my board. Mm-hmm. Jalen Warren has been interesting because I feel like when you the, when you watch the Steelers, he's the more explosive running back. He's been getting a lot of work in the passing game. I think he's the better of the two running backs for the Steelers now. This past week, week five was as close to a 50-50 split as it's been all season. Now the Steelers are going into a bye, and it wouldn't shock me if coming out of the bye week, Jalen Warren sees a higher snap count than Najee Harris. So Najee Harris, I don't think you're getting any value from him in trades. I could foresee him losing his job altogether to Jalen Warren. Um, He might still have some role in the offense. I don't think he's going to just disappear. But I think Jalen Warren could take over as the guy. I'm okay, especially on a bye week, if you need to make a roster spot to add a player for one of the many injuries that we mentioned, James Conner, we didn't even talk about heading to the IR uh, just announced a couple hours ago as well. If you need to uh, find a roster spot, I think Najee Harris is, you know, that sacrifice that you need to make, send him out to the waivers, let him be someone else's problem. Give a plug for uh, what's going on, the Fly Fantasy Football Podcast and what you write at Fantrax. Yeah, so uh, the Fly, uh, Colin McTammany and myself, uh, he is based out of Philadelphia, and uh, he's an Eagles fan. I'm originally from New York as a Giants fan, so we always have some fun banter with that. I'll usually handle the waiver wire episode of the podcast. I just dropped that recently. Got a couple other names in there as well that could be potential targets for you. Um and writing for fan tracks did a lot more of the uh, standard league stuff during the off season and going to start uh, next week, picking up a uh, defensive and special team streamer. Uh, 
uh, article that I'll be publishing weekly as well. So, um, yeah, Fantrax, if you're not familiar with it, great fantasy football platform. You can host your leagues there. Obviously a little bit late to be making that kind mm-hmm. of plug now, but if you're in a dynasty league, it's an extremely customizable uh, fantasy platform. So if you're in a dynasty league, especially, that's where I recommend it the most for people. Definitely check it out. He's Sean Malone. You hear him do news for KMOX. He'll do a little sports with us talking fantasy football every week. Thanks for your time. Thank you. John Malone joining us here on the program again. We're going to do that on Tuesdays and uh, just trying to give you a little bit of an inside track when it comes to fantasy football. We'll jump back into baseball. Daniel Guerrero from the Post-Dispatch covers uh, the minors and the prospects. Uh, We'll uh, talk with him in just a moment as we roll on. It is a Graybar Sports Open Line on Tuesday night here on KMOX. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one. They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. This is America's Sports Voice. KMOX. A great bar sports open line continues right here on KMOX. Great to have you with us this evening. We are going to go back to the Quiver River Electric guest line and welcome on to the program one of my favorite people who covers the Cardinals, uh, covers the minor leagues, the prospects. There's a lot going on in that right now, even though we're not right in the middle of baseball season. We welcome on to the program Daniel Guerrero. Daniel, thank you for taking some time with us. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing good, Matt. Thank you uh, for, for the invite. Yeah, so this is the time of year where even though the Major League Baseball season is over and there's not technically minor league baseball going on, the Arizona Fall League is going on right now. What's been uh, your general takeaways on uh, what some of the Cardinals prospects have done so far? Yeah, I think first off, uh, this prospect group, I mean, as it, as it was last year, right? I mean, last year you had the likes of uh, Jordan Walker, Mason Wynn, Kent out there. Um, Connor Thomas, who you know made a push last year for for forty man roster spot out there, and this year um, another really intriguing group. Um, Takoa Roby, uh, the the pitching uh, pitching prospect, uh, Cardinals acquired in, in the Montgomery Jordan Montgomery Chris Stratton trade from Texas. He's a uh, part of this this year's fall league group. Uh, Cooper Jerpy, the twenty twenty two first round pick, um, is him him as well. And then um, Victor Scott. I mean, just the top. Of, I mean, Victor Scott. I mean, stole ninety four bases this year, co leader and and stolen bases across the minors. Um, um, those are some of the you know three of the eight guys out there, and and overall, I mean, it's 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 a it's a really interesting group just because of of some uh, just kind of the makeup for for a lot of these guys. You mentioned Scott being co-leader. He was the leader, and then something happened, and he was the co-leader. Uh, what can you explain? What exactly happened there? Yeah, so it's it's, it's kind of a, a story that I mean, after speaking to Victor, he kind of laughs about, and uh, so originally. 
Um, he finished with 95 stolen bases to end the year. That gave him a one-base lead over uh, race prospect Chandler Simpson, who happens to be a, a, an off-field friend of, of Scott. They're both Atlanta-area natives. Um, and that kind of had – it was a little bit of a, a personal competition between them to see who could lead the league in, in steals. Um, and Victor, you know, had the one-bag lead to end the year. Um, turns out, though, after the season had ended, Victor is on his drive home from – uh, to Atlanta from Springfield, and uh, gets a call and learns about the uh, that his uh, one of his stolen bases was essentially stolen from him in a way. Um, there's a stat correction from a September 10th, I think, Springfield game. Uh, it was a double steal attempt. Uh, ended up being a throwing error towards second, uh, and it was ruled after the fact that or changed after the fact that Scott had advanced on a throwing error. Um, rather than stealing the base, so that that wiped away one of the bags. Um, Victor Scott and Chandler Simpson ended up tied, and they kind of had a little debate amongst themselves, right, of uh, whose whose stolen bases were a little bit more uh, uh, harder to obtain. Scott's obviously came in high A and double A. Chandler Simpson's came in in low A and in, in high A in the race system. But overall, I mean, it was something that that he was that Victor Scott was obviously proud of. Um, and obviously, I mean, 94 stolen bases is um, especially with uh, just kind of how difficult that is and to have that pace throughout an entire year, it's obviously an impressive feat. When it comes to the Arizona Fall League, it is a lot of times when we see unexpected prospects uh, either get a four unexpected 40-man roster spot or just make a lot of noise in spring training, kind of the pathway mm-hmm. to that is a breakout minor league season followed by the continuation of that in the Arizona Fall League, and then that continues into spring training the, the next year. It, of that group that you talked about earlier, is there somebody in there that could maybe follow that, and all of a sudden we could very much be talking about them being uh, possibly a, a, a choice at the big league level for next year? Yeah, I mean, there's a, uh, one of the names that really intrigues me is Andre Granillo. He was a 14th-round pick in the 2021 draft. Um, out of UC Riverside, uh, has been a reliever in the minors, and this year spent the first uh, major part of a season in, in Springfield. Then got the call to Memphis this year uh, at the end at the end of in, in September. Um, but I mean, when you look at the, the what he offers out of the bullpen, I mean, he has like a, a mid 90s fastball that gets up to 95, uh, touches 96 every now and then, and, and a, a, a really effective slider. Um, and you look at what he did in the regular season, struck out 89 guys in 68 in the third innings. Um, pitching a lot of high leverage spots for Springfield from the back end of their bullpen, got a little bit of a run in, in Memphis and uh, ERA. I mean, is, uh, it was a little bit up there, but you still look at that strikeout rate. Uh, obviously it was an adjustment for adjusting to, you know, more advanced hitters, uh, adjusting to the, uh, the automated ball strike system up there. Um, but yeah, Granillo is kind of one of those names that I kind of looked at as, as an intriguing prospect out there. He's 23 years old. Um, you know, has a good uh, two, you know, two pitches out of the bullpen and, and uh, has shown that, you know, he can get swing and miss. And that's obviously where the Cardinals are kind of trending towards. I mean, he offered, he could be somebody who offers some depth down the road. Um, but definitely, I mean, if you're looking at strikeout guys and you're looking at um, swing and miss, he, he's kind of had, had that track record uh, in the last couple of years in the minors. 
The initial reason I really wanted to have you on was because you wrote a really good article and encouraged people to read it uh, at stltoday.com. You broke down and went through the performances of all the players that the Cardinals received at the trade deadline and just what they did uh, after getting traded and what it looks like moving forward. And we'll go through a couple of them, but again, I I think people would uh, enjoy reading it at stltoday.com. Overall, though, did... Does your opinion, did your opinion at all change on the return that the Cardinals got at the deadline? Meaning, did you think even more of the package of players that they got based off their performances uh, once they got over to the Cardinal system? Uh, you know, that's a good question. I, I think uh, when you looked at what the Cardinals got in return at the deadline, you uh, there was some talent that seemed like they're a little bit closer to the majors than. Uh, then you'd then you'd expect right with guys like uh, Adam Poffenstein and Sam Robersaw, uh, both right-handed pitchers that the Cardinals got in Jordan Hicks deal with Toronto. Um, I think uh, one of the names that I, I was still learning about and eventually learned a lot more about by the end of the regular season for uh, for Springfield and when I guess in Memphis was a Thomas J.C., uh, an infield prospect who came along with Roby in that trade uh, with Texas. And, uh, I mean, man, you look at what he did in the first month with Springfield, uh, batted, you know, around 330 OPS above 1,000, uh, was the Cardinals minor league player of the month for August in his first month in the system. Had a career year, really. He led the minor league in hits, uh, had 26 homers and over 110 RBIs, both career highs for him. Um, and, and you look at kind of what he does. Uh, defensively, he plays a lot of second, but can play around the, around the infield. Um, a really contact-oriented hitter who, um, you know, didn't skip a beat. I mean, I made a career year, switched organizations, and finished strong and got a call-up to, to Memphis. Uh, but, yeah, but when you look at kind of how he's uh, climbed up that prospect ladder and, and the way he finished this year, he positions himself to be uh, really a factor heading into into next spring um, and somebody who uh, plays, I mean, could, could be a factor into that middle infield depth. Really feels like that combination of Thomas and not taking anything away from anybody else that they acquired, but Sajasi and Roby coming over. It, you know, still a lot of time until they're making an impact at the big league level. But it feels like these are two guys who do have the potential to be pretty good major league players. Yeah, yeah, and I'd, I'd say so. And especially with with Roby, we didn't we we didn't get to see a whole lot of him um, during the regular season just because he came over. Uh, to the Cardinal system uh, while rehabbing a shoulder injury um, that that had knocked him out for a couple of months. But I mean, once he was activated, uh, I think he pitched 19 innings in the regular season for Springfield. Uh, kind of, uh, I think he allowed maybe about four runs, but strike out the swing and miss stuff that was advert that you know had been advertised was there. Um, he's already gotten a start in the fall league and looked sharp as well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he's somebody who. Um, just be, I mean, it was a little bit delayed by injuries, but when you look at the stuff and you look at kind of the makeup and what he possesses, you, you do see that that high ceiling pitching prospect the Cardinals uh, got in return. Last thing for you, and sometimes narratives at the major league level have a trickle down effect to the uh, tr- trickle down effect to the minor league level. The Cardinals have spoken openly about maybe reevaluating, reassessing how they evaluate players. And there's been a lot of talk about the organization needing more swing and miss from their pitchers at the major league level. How does that trickle down to the minor league level? Is there, do, do philosophy changes, if you want to call it that? Do they start changing things at the minor league level? Can you just comment on where this organization is at right now, maybe trying to get more swing and miss, and how that changes things that they might do at the minor league level? 
Yeah, that's an interesting point. And like you mentioned, right, that that was, uh, you know, pitching, pitching, pitching was the line that uh, was kind of emphasized during the, uh, before the trade deadline and pitching and looking for swing and miss was what the Cardinals sought. Um, they got a, you know, uh, some of that with Roby, with Klopfenstein, uh, Robersaw is another guy you could, you could put in there. Um, but yeah, but when you look at the guys who were in the system before that, um, Tink Kent is a guy who got a lot of innings this year, um, as expected. I mean, did deal with a little bit of injury, but uh, had a, had a pretty decent finish to, to his year in Springfield um, and showed that he has that swing and miss capability. Um, but yeah, but you look at, at kind of what, I guess how that changes or I guess what the the philosophy, right, in the minor leagues. And I think that's just kind of focusing on and just trying to, uh, I guess, amplify the strength of some of these guys. Um, I think there are a couple of pitchers who um, were, were a little bit more contact-oriented and they have to play to their strengths. But when you look at guys like Gordon Graceffo and Cooper Jerpy and uh, see kind of their pitch mix and what works for them, and I, I think it's just maximizing what works for them and, and trying to uh, – achieve that swing and miss rather than uh, having a contact oriented approach. He is uh, Daniel Guerrero. We always enjoy uh, talking with him about uh, the Cardinals and talking about prospects and the minors and everything. Encourage you to read him in the post-dispatch also at uh, STL today. And of course, follow him on Twitter at the Dan Guerrero. Daniel, always appreciate your time. I hope your off season is uh, going well and uh, we'll talk to you again real soon. Yeah. Thank you, Matt. Very good. There's uh, Daniel Guerrero joining us here on the program. I uh, mentioned that we we're going to talk uh, more of the baseball playoffs. Game two between the Braves and Phillies yesterday. It was wild, especially the ending. What an ending in that game. Kevin McAlpin from the Braves Radio Network. He was there, and he's going to be here on this program in just a moment as we roll on. It's a Gray Bar Sports Open Line on KMOX. News Radio KMOX, the home of the Cardinals. Ready to fire 2-2. In the air, out towards right center field. Harris going to go back. Harris back to the warning track. He leaps. Michael's got it! He's got it! They fired it in, and it rolls across the infield. Taken by Riley. He throws to the back. They double him off. Ball game over. Braves win. I've never seen a play like that. Yeah, that was quite the finish last night between the Phillies and the Braves. They can, you can replay the video of that, the audio of it, uh, over and over and over, and it's never gonna get old. That was a spectacular finish to a really, really entertaining ball game. And to uh, talk about that and much, much more, we're able to uh, welcome onto the program someone who is part of the uh, Braves radio network and also the team at 680 The Fan in Atlanta. He is uh, Kevin McAlpin. You follow him on Twitter at Kevin McAlpin. Hey, Kevin, always great to talk to you. How are you? Matt, I am doing well. I'm doing a lot better after last night. I got to, I got to tell you, it was, uh, it wasn't looking good for a while. But I'm doing a whole lot better after the, uh, the Braves are sending this thing to Philly, tied up in a game apiece. That's for sure. Okay, so take me through. Where were you sitting? Uh-huh. Were you up in the press box? Were you somewhere else? Like, what, where were you at as you were watching that play unfold yesterday? So our studio is actually right across the street. Uh, in the Battery Atlanta, which is the area where they have the bars and the restaurants and the shopping uh, in and around Truist Park. So I was up in the press box until the bottom of the eighth. And as soon as Austin Riley hit the homer to put the Braves in front, I grabbed my stuff and I was like, I'm out of here. I'm going to be on the air in about 15 minutes. So I ran back across the street and I was just getting set up in our studio 
getting my scorebook out, getting the computer fired up when that when that final play happened. So I watched it about a minute later. The, the TV delay this year has been really, really far behind. So it was about a minute later after it actually happened. But uh, as I joked when we started the postgame show, Braves had them all the way. They just had to make it a little interesting for the, the largest crowd in Truist Park history last night. Man, what a, uh, what a scene it was. I thought Ben Ingram, Joe Simpson, their emotion, you heard it on the call there. Man, it, it came right through the radio. And, uh, yeah, we were, uh, we were all breathing a sigh of relief. There was a lot of uh, the staff in the studio hugging. And uh, it felt like they won the, won the World Series, and it was just their first win of the playoffs. So hopefully more of those to come and hopefully a little bit less stressful moving forward. There's been a lot of talk about whether Harper made a mistake going so far off first. Like, to me – if he doesn't do that, let's say he stays close and it drops and he doesn't score, it feel, then, then you're asking for another hit to score him. Like I, I know the cost was him getting doubled off, but I, I didn't have a problem with him being aggressive like that on the bases. Agree or disagree? Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. I thought off the bat it was going to be off the wall. I really did. When I saw the replay, it looked like that thing was going to carry enough. And Michael Harris had to run about a mile and a half to track that thing down. Now, fortunately, he's got the speed to have the ability to do that. But, no, I I was okay with that, especially against a guy like Rysel Iglesias, who's been one of the better closers in the National League this year. You know you're not going to string together three or four knocks against him in a situation like that. So if I'm a Philly fan waking up this morning, I'm not overly disappointed uh, about Harper trying to be aggressive there. Look, if anything, if you're a Philly fan, it's mission accomplished. You came down and took care of the best team in baseball, and you now have home field advantage going back to Philadelphia for games three and four. So you wanted a, a split. Obviously you were eight outs away from, from getting uh, a two games to none lead, but no, I, I did not have a problem with what Harper did in that situation. I was really happy that play happened because the national narrative about the baseball playoffs was nothing but talking about the format of the playoffs. And I think it's a legitimate conversation to be had, but my goodness, the baseball playoffs are going on right now. We can spend some time talking about baseball and not just playoff formats. And it feels like once that play happened, everybody kind of got locked into, okay, there's some kind of cool baseball stuff happening. Yeah, and I'm really curious to see what that does for the Braves moving forward. You know, I I said it on the postgame show last night. It felt like a moment we could look back on in, you know, two or three weeks and go, that's sort of where things really turn for the Braves. You know, look, Philly's a good team. It's a tough atmosphere to play in uh, at Citizens Bank Park. But I think what's been really interesting about the postseason to this point You've seen that home field advantage may not be necessarily well, you know, all it's cracked up to be. You know, obviously, the Braves wanted to finish with the best record in baseball, right? They wanted to have the extra home games. They wanted to have the ability to have home field advantage throughout the playoffs. But at the same time, it's not like it is in football or even basketball. You know, home field advantage. What did I see? I think it's fifty-two percent of the time historically that home teams win. So it's not an overwhelming majority that, you know, it's, it's proven that it's, you know, it's, it's beneficial. Um, so yeah, look, I, I'm, I'm glad that we're not talking about the narrative of, Hey, you know, the three, the three of the four, the four top teams are down two games to none. Uh, I'm curious what that may have done this off season. If a couple of those teams got knocked out very quickly and that still could happen. Look, it's, I'm not ruling any of that out at this point, but yeah, I'm glad we're talking about the games and not the, the whole, uh, you know, tweaking the postseason setup, at least at this point in the playoffs. Did you think the Braves' bats were impacted by the layoff? Uh, a little bit, yeah. And look, they, they 
to a man, nobody in that clubhouse will use that as an excuse, right? You, you've got you've to gotta find a way to, to, to battle through it. And I thought what the team did with three days of simulated action uh, at Truist Park, I thought it was really good. You know, they let fans in for free. They played the walk-up songs. They did the little in, you know, between-inning contests and, and things of that nature. So I thought it was good. You know, baseball players, and Matt, you've been around enough. You get it. These guys are creatures of habit, right? They're used to going to the ballpark, same time every day. They're used to doing their pregame routine. Uh, when you throw guys off of that, uh, it can be a little bit tough to, to flip the switch back into, into game mode again. So, um, yeah, I, I think the layoff did affect him a little bit. And let's be honest, you know, the Braves didn't really play a whole lot of competitive games uh, in, in the final month of the season. I mean, the Braves had the division locked up so early. And, yeah, they were still playing for home field advantage. But, again, I think it did affect them. Uh, because they hadn't seen, you know, guys pitching in on them, guys throwing 95 on them. The last thing you want to do if you're Max Freed in a simulated exhibition game is to run one up and in on Ronald Acuna Jr. and, and hurt him. Uh, so, obviously, it, it's a totally different scenario there. But, yeah, I, I do think, at least for the first, you know, game and a half, I think you could see the bats were a little bit slower than we're used to seeing. This is a Braves team, Matt, that did not strike out a whole lot during the regular season. For a team that hit 307 home runs, they certainly didn't have the strikeout numbers that you typically see go along with having a team that has that kind of power. Yeah, I asked this question, and I've got the belief that the Braves are the best team in baseball, and, and they've been my pick to win the World Series. But the, the starting pitching hasn't been fantastic, especially recently. The, the, I mean, it feels like they can just flick a switch and, and score seven runs if they need to at any given moment, and that's why I wasn't overly worried about the starting pitching, but now here they are in a 1-1 series against the Phillies. Where are you at when it comes to the Braves starting pitching? Well, losing Charlie Morton certainly hurts, no doubt about it. I mean, you know, a guy who's been you know veteran battle-tested in the playoffs and has really good lifetime numbers in the postseason. Braves are hopeful and they're optimistic that they'll get him back should they advance to the NLCS, he would be good to go uh, for the next round if the Braves were able to get past Philadelphia. Uh, but look, you know, I, I thought Strider the other night, it was really one of those two runs he gave up was a self-inflicted wound, right? He, he throws over on an 0-2 pitch. It's an errant pickoff move that leads to a run. Other than that, he gives up a solo shot to Bryce Harper. I can live in a world where Spencer Strider goes seven innings and gives up two runs, one of which is earned. Max Freed last night wasn't nearly as sharp as we're used to seeing out of him. He's been the Braves' ace for the last few years. And the big question now becomes, Matt, who in the world pitches game three for the Braves yeah. tomorrow? Here we are. They don't have an idea. They, they, I mean, they have an idea, but they have not announced it as of yet. Could it be Bryce Elder? He was an all-star for the Braves this year, but wasn't the same guy in the second half, sort of running out of gas a little bit. A.J. smith Shaver, 20-year-old right-hander, uh, got his feet wet, made a handful of starts this year. Could he be the guy? Is it a bullpen game? Is it an opener and a bulk guy? We'll see what direction the Braves decide to go, but I think there's still a number of different ways they could you know, hand the ball off tomorrow night. Now, again, the good news, like you said, they have an offense that can overcome some of the shortcomings in your rotation. But again, you don't want to have to try to live in a world where you're scoring six, seven, eight runs a night in the playoffs. It's not nearly as easy to come by as you're well aware of in October than it is say in June and July. You mentioned the two guys that are being mentioned most often, Elder and and, and Smith Shaver. If you had to guess, would you say it's one of those two guys or it's something else, maybe even something a little wacky? You know, I would probably go with Smith Shaver. Uh, He's a fresher arm. 
doesn't have nearly the innings uh, log that uh, Bryce Elder has this year. The one concern for me, you're going into Citizens Bank Park in Philly. It's a hitter-friendly ballpark. And in his last two starts of the regular season, that Bryce Elder walked nine guys to just two strikeouts in his final two starts. You want to talk about putting yourself behind the eight ball very quickly against that lineup in that building? I think it's a recipe for disaster for the Braves tomorrow night. So, if anything, I could see a situation where it's Smith Schauber, gives you, you know, three good innings, get me Bryce Elder out of the pen for an inning, maybe two, and then piece it together with, you know, Michael Tonkin or a, a Brad Hand or an A.J. Minter, whatever you might decide to do. The good news is your bullpen is in relatively good shape going into this you know, with, with these days off. Uh, you feel good about you know covering those innings. So I think if I'm making that call, I'm probably going with Smith Schauber and almost treating it like a, a spring training game where I've got Bryce Elder serving as that piggyback guy to you know give, give AJ a couple innings, give Elder a couple innings, and sort of see where you're at for the final few innings of the ball game. Let me play devil's advocate on that. If they go down that path, and I think it's, it is a possibility, and let's say Aaron Nola goes out and has another seven-inning scoreless outing, are, do you hurt yourself at all because of your bullpen usage for, for a game four and a game five? Well, not necessarily. You know, you, you would have Spencer Strider coming back for game four, so you like your chances there on a guy that can get you deep into a ball game. You know, these, these days off in this series, yeah actually really beneficial for the Braves because they can have Strider and Freed pitch four of the five potential games in this series. So, you know, again, you're in better shape than Philly is. Now, Noel is the guy that he can put together some really good ones, but also, you know, the Braves have seen him a ton over the course of his career, even more so than they've seen Zach Wheeler. So I think the Braves feel good about, you know, the game plan. There's no secrets on how he's going to try to attack this lineup. And, again, you want to talk about maybe, hopefully, fingers crossed, the momentum of what the Braves did inning 7, 8, and 9 last night, carry that into tomorrow night. I think the Braves feel pretty good offensively that those, uh, those swing and miss woes of the first, what, 14, 15 innings, they put that behind them. And, again, they feel pretty well about having Strider and Freed for games you know, 4 and 5 should it go the distance. He's Kevin McAlpin. He does pre and post for the Braves on the Braves Radio Network and 680 The Fan. I'm bummed that we're not talking about a potential Braves Cardinal series coming up at the playoffs, but I'm always happy for you when uh, you are covering a winner. Kevin, thanks so much for taking some time. We'll talk again down the line. All right, Matt. Always good to talk to you, pal. You bet. There's Kevin McAlpin joining us here on the program. Again, you can hear him on the Braves Radio Network, 680 The Fan in Atlanta, their flagship station, and you follow him on Twitter at Kevin McAlpin. We will take a break. We'll come back and we will wrap up this edition of a Gray Bar Sports Open Line. Appreciate you being with us tonight as we uh, take you till 8 o'clock. So we've got about 10 more minutes left in the program right here on KMOX. This is the Gray Bar Sports Open Line. Those bit swings and he hits a drive. He hits a slammer. On America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Starting to wrap up this edition of Sports Open Line here on KMOX. Uh, on the way next, at your service, Greg Damon going to be hosting tonight. I'm actually going to hang out for a little bit and uh, spend some time with him right at the beginning of uh, his show after uh, 8 o'clock. Adam Wainwright has embarked on his new career as a TV analyst. He is involved with these playoffs, working for Fox, and something he did today Caught the attention of a lot of people. If you're on social media, you probably saw this. There was a, a term that you hear a lot now in baseball is sweeper. That's the name of a pitch, a sweeper. And a lot of people say, well, it's really just a slider. Um, but it's a, if, 
if you're ever like following along with Statcast data during a baseball game, if you've got you know the uh, the MLB at bat or whatever, and it identifies pitches, a pitch you see a lot is a sweeper, and we hear a lot of people talking about slider versus sweeper. And bluntly, there's a lot of old school baseball folks out there who don't even like using the term sweeper, think that it's just a slider and people are making things more complicated than it needs to be. So that brings us to today. This audio is courtesy of Fox. Adam Wainwright was asked about just that on the difference between a slider and a sweeper. And uh, let's just say he was fantastic in his explanation. Well, a slider is going to break traditionally eight, nine inches horizontally, right? A sweeper, they call it a sweeper because on average, it's breaking 12 to 14. Now, Sonny's actually slides a little bit more than that. On average, it's sliding 15.5 inches right to left. So it's a big... Altuve hits it hard but pulls it foul. It's a big breaking pitch. And the difference in a sweeper and a slider, it's... Let's see if I can get there. Okay. When you throw a slider, you're going to see a red dot, and it's going to be towards the bottom left of the ball. That means it's going down. A sweeper, when you throw the sweeper, when you come through, it's there's some science behind this. This seam right here, if you can see, this seam, this seam has to be pointed in the right direction, and it's kind of angled up and to the right. And when that catches the air halfway through, that's when it starts really taking off right to left. And what happens is it just moves more than a hitter's eyes think it's moving. And so it's to- it's totally different than another slider. It's totally different than a curveball. And it's different, and it's kind of, it's just an off, it's just weird, right? Like hitters don't see that. So there you go. A uh, couple things there. First off, Wainwright, as you expect him to be, fantastic. He he can go as far as he wants to go when it comes to TV. Uh, at the same time, he might want to take a little bit of a break, see his family every once in a while after a long major league career. But that's uh, that's the avenue for him to to go down, and that's as good of an explanation of slider versus sweeper that we have seen anywhere. There's been some social media videos out there put out that do kind of side-by-side videos showing you a slider versus a sweeper, but it's still, I think for a lot of people, it's hard to understand. And again, sweeper is a more new term in baseball, so there's people who just don't want to hear it. But there is a guy who was a major league pitcher about a week ago, and he's talking about how this is a different pitch. This is not a slider. This is a different pitch. So that gives you the indication that major league pitchers are viewing the sweeper as a completely different pitch. It's not just like a slider that doesn't break or a slider that's aimed in a different direction or a curveball that's got a little bit of slide to it, something like that. It is a completely different pitch, and it is being thrown a lot right now in Major League Baseball because it is a very effective pitch right now in Major League Baseball. That's it for Sports Open Line. Thanks for being tuned in. We'll talk tomorrow right here on KMOX. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.